My name is Lily Madden, and I'm a proud Aranda, Bunjalung, Kalkadun woman from Gadigal country. The Daily Oz acknowledges that this podcast is recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people and pays respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations. We pay our respects to the first peoples of these countries, both past and present. Good morning and welcome to The Daily Oz. It's Friday the 24th of February. I'm Sam. I'm Billy. Nice to have you on, Billy. It's uh, lovely of you to join us today. Thank you for having me. It's a big one today. We're going to be talking about the one-year anniversary of Russia invading Ukraine. Good evening. The fate of Ukraine appears to be reaching crisis point. President Vladimir Putin has finally made his move. War has returned to Europe in a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. The war has lasted longer than many expected, and the end is not yet in sight. So, what's happened so far? What's likely to happen next? And how has the war changed the world? We'll let you know in the deep dive. But first, Billy, let's kick off with some headlines. What's making news? The latest data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics, also known as the ABS, has found that the national gender pay gap is at 13.3%. That's the lowest gender pay gap that's ever been recorded in Australia. The ABS found that the average full-time earnings for Australian women were about $1,654 per week, while men were paid on average $1,907 a week. Queensland is one step closer to criminalising coercive control as a standalone offence. It comes as legislation passed Parliament this week to broaden the definition of domestic violence to include behaviour that occurs over time. Defence Minister Richard Miles has said Australia could begin joint patrols of the South China Sea with the Philippines in an effort to counter Chinese influence in the region. In a press conference with the Philippine Secretary of National Defence, Miles said they are also looking at conducting military exercises together and will continue efforts to deepen the bilateral relationship. And today's good news. That's what you always say. And today's good news. For the first time in over a decade, over 70% of Queensland is no longer at a risk of drought. This is big news. And according to the Agricultural Industry Development and Fisheries Minister Mark Ferner, it's great news for primary producers. So, Sam, as you said, it is today the one-year anniversary of when Russia invaded Ukraine. To me, it feels like it's been a lot longer than one year ago. So much has happened. And I think as the war has gone on, it's been easy to lose context and you kind of forget, wait, what actually happened that led us Mm. to this point? So can we go back to the basics? What do we need to know about why this war started? Well, there's a whole history to try and get your head around Why don't we start with some geography and history. First geography, Ukraine shares a border with Russia and it was part of the Russian-led Soviet Union for much of the 20th century. Now, let's talk history. Like many of the former Soviet countries in Eastern Europe, there's been a drift of Ukraine towards the West, both ideologically and strategically, since that collapse of the Soviet Union, which marked the end of the Cold War. Now, Ukraine's goal has been to join the European Union and NATO, which is the US-led military alliance, but it hasn't quite cracked either of those. Russia, on the other hand, has been intimidated by this shift of Ukraine towards the West, and that's been especially accentuated under the current Russian president, Vladimir Putin. 
But the invasion that we saw on this day last year wasn't Russia's first direct move towards occupying parts of Ukraine. We only have to go back to 2013, where Ukraine's then-president Viktor Yanukovych, who was this leader widely seen by the West as a pro-Russian leader, he refused to sign an association agreement with the European Union. This led to massive protests all across Ukraine, and in February 2014, only a few months later, Yanukovych was ousted from office. Not long after that, Russia responded by invading Ukraine. Remember, this was in 2014. Russian President Vladimir Putin casts his shadow across the boundary of Europe and Russia. Russia invaded a Ukrainian territory called Crimea, and it's still in control of that today. Putin rules in Crimea now, claiming he is defending ethnic Russians in Crimea, has seized and cut off the entire peninsula. Russia has also thrown a lot of support behind pro-Russian rebels in eastern Ukraine. We're talking here about an area close to the Russian border. But then last year, things really escalated. With diplomacy failing, NATO and Russia are both mobilizing for a potential war. Several countries have gone into a panic mode, pulling out their embassy staff and urging their citizens to leave Ukraine. Okay, so I just want to recap where we are. So Ukraine was part of the Russian-led Soviet Union, but once that collapsed, it strategically shifted to the West and Russia was intimidated by that and decided that it needed to take action to stop Ukraine from doing that. So that's what led to this. Can you remind me how the actual invasion played out last year? Well, I remember we started getting reports in December 2021 of Russian troops assembling on particular parts of the border with Ukraine. But then it all culminated on the 24th of February 2022 when Vladimir Putin declared what he called a special military operation in Ukraine. A Russian military operation, it would appear, is now underway. The distinct sound of explosions on the horizon uh, here in Kiev. We've heard at least four what appear to be strikes uh, lighting up the night sky. We saw Russian troops enter Ukraine and missiles fired across the country, including in the capital of Kiev. Putin claimed, without any evidence, that Russia was acting in what he called self-defense and to fight persecution of who Putin describes as this group of ethnic Russians inside Ukraine. He also went as far as stating that he wanted to demilitarize Ukraine. I remember when Putin was saying his speech about this so-called special military operation, which is basically code for just war. He made so many accusations. There was also something like he wanted to denazify Ukraine without any evidence that there were Nazis in Ukraine. But what I also remember is that we all thought Ukraine was at an extreme disadvantage. You know, Russia has a lot more money. They have more troops. They also have more advanced weaponry. So I don't think that we really expected the war to play out the way that it now has in hindsight. You're totally right. And a lot of experts gave Ukraine almost no chance of defending itself. But I think what Russia didn't count on was the strength of Ukraine, particularly when supported by the West. Now, Ukraine's resistance with the support of Western nations, including Australia, has been stronger than many expected. There's also, on the other side of things, the fact that Russia have made a number of strategic blunders and nearly 200,000 of its soldiers have been killed or wounded in the past 12 months. Now, as a consequence to this poor start to the war from Russia, we saw a real shift in strategy. And instead of trying to take over the whole country with particular efforts on harming the capital, Russia narrowed its forces to focus on eastern Ukraine, 
but it still does fire missiles across the country, particularly targeting energy infrastructure and still some assaults on the capital of Kyiv. There's now widely documented evidence that Russia's attacks have targeted civilians, though Russia does continue to deny this. The UN has verified over 8,000 civilian deaths and millions have fled the country. And just for anyone whose geography is as bad as mine, Sam, when you're talking about um, Russia trying to narrow its focus to eastern Ukraine, that's a part of Ukraine that is closest to Russia, right? Just over the border. And now you talked about the ways that the West has thrown its support behind Ukraine. We've talked a lot about the weapons that they've supplied to support them. But another way is through sanctions. How has that played out? Well, it's been led by the US. They've really made a concerted effort to try and harm Russia economically by imposing sanctions or financial penalties on Russia as a country, but also on individual Russian business people all around the world in the past year. It's been joined by Australia, Canada, the UK, the European Union, New Zealand, Japan, South Korea and Singapore. All of those countries have done the same. Other countries have been a little more reluctant to directly condemn the war, and we're talking here particularly about China and India. We've heard this week that China's President Xi Jinping has plans to visit Russia soon. China's pretty friendly with Russia, and there are growing fears it may decide to supply Russia with more weapons. Okay, so... You've given a lot of context, big question, but are we any closer to peace? I don't think so. I really can't see an imminent end to this war. Russia started the year with a fresh offensive, but that doesn't appear to have been successful. There's no sign also of any sort of negotiated peace between Russia and Ukraine. There were high-level talks throughout the last 12 months, but those have broken down altogether, and Russia has shown no sign of abandoning its objectives in Ukraine. Now, on the Ukrainian side, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky has suggested he wants to win back Crimea. Okay, so a negotiated peace between Ukraine and Russia seems unlikely. What is likely to happen next? Well, the fears are that the war could spread to other parts of Europe. We're talking here about Belarus, which is a Russian ally. They've threatened to enter the war if it feels provoked by Ukraine. Then we've got Moldova, which shares a border with Ukraine. They've expressed fears that it's next in what it sees as kind of the falling dominoes of Russia's invasion across Europe. Russia have repeatedly threatened to use nuclear weapons, which is obviously very alarming for the whole world, and accused Ukraine's Western allies, including Australia, of effectively declaring war by supplying Ukraine with weapons and tanks. In terms of the West's response, there's so far been a resistance to enter the war directly, but there are concerns that this could change quite quickly if Russia's attacks spread to any member of NATO, and we're talking here about Poland or Lithuania as the closest options. Now, this is all because of this idea that NATO members subscribe to when they sign the agreement of collective defence, and that basically commits them to treating an attack on one NATO member as an attack on all of them. It's particularly important to US President Joe Biden, who has previously called this idea a sacred obligation. We'll be back right after this. So Sam, we started this discussion by talking about how today marks the one year anniversary since Russia invaded Ukraine. Now, this week in the lead up to this anniversary, both US President Joe Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin have both delivered speeches. Can you explain what we heard in those speeches? 
It's been a week full of symbolism, Billy, and both sides have taken this week as this opportunity to state their intentions for what feels like the year or years ahead. First, we'll go to the Russian side. There we saw Vladimir Putin give an almost two-hour speech earlier in the week to a stadium full of supporters in which he said that Russia would continue their efforts in Ukraine. Every one of us has... uh a great responsibility in order to protect our people on our historic land. This is a translation of Putin's speech which aired on Sky News. They started the war and we used force in order to stop it. He also announced his intention to withdraw from the only remaining arms agreement between Russia and the US. Uh, Russia has to ensure the readiness of the Russian nuclear potential. Now, on the other side of the conflict, U.S. President Joe Biden made a surprise visit to Ukraine earlier in the week before giving his own address in nearby Poland. When Russia invaded, it wasn't just Ukraine being tested. The whole world faced a test for the ages. There was a clear message of unity and resistance during Biden's speech. One year into this war, Putin no longer doubts the strength of our coalition, but he still doubts our conviction. He doubts our staying power. He doubts our continued support for Ukraine. He doubts whether NATO can remain unified. But there should be no doubt. Our support for Ukraine will not waver. NATO will not be divided, and we will not tire. Thank you for joining us on The Daily Oz. If you've learnt something from today's episode, don't forget to hit subscribe so there's a TDA episode waiting for you every weekday morning. We'll be back again on Monday morning. Until then, have a great day.